Radio. You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Pet Talk Naturally, the place where your animal friends and nature come together to find health, happiness, and harmony with all the natural things the earth has to offer. Your hosts, Dr. Kim Bloomer and Dr. Jeannie Thomason, each week will lead you through the practice of taking care of your pets with all the wonderful natural elements that nature provides. So, get ready to learn about natural nutrition, preventative pet health, and more with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. Hello, I'm Kim Bloomer. I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Jeannie Thomason, the other host. And I hear bang banging in the background, Jeannie. They're still working on the roof. Sorry about that. <laughs> so we're going to mute Jeannie for just a minute as we get into announcing about this week's show. Uh, we are going to be talking about viruses, friend or foe, with an old friend who is a regular on our show and has uh, done many shows with us, Dr. John Sims, or AKA, better known to us and our audience, is Dr. J. Um, before we get into speaking with Dr. J, uh, we're just going to hear from one of our partners here real quick, and we'll be right back after this message. Time to take a walk down the path to happier and healthier pets. And while we're doing that, you get to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Naturally, Pet Talk Naturally we will be right back. Want to know what cats like to eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies, of course. Learn everything there is to know about cats on Catitude with your host, Tom Dock. Each week, we'll spotlight a cool cat breed, give up-to-date advice on cat health, and check out spiffy new cat products. So curl up on the couch every week for a perfectly enjoyable time on Catitude. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Pets are part of the family, and when traveling with your dog, there's only one magazine to include when packing your doggy's duffel bag, and that's Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Each bi-monthly issue includes hotel, city and state reviews, and doggy destinations to explore with your furry companion. Fido Friendly magazine can be found at Borders, Barnes & Noble, PetSmart, Pet Boutiques, and Fido Friendly hotels nationwide. Or you can go online to subscribe at www.fidofriendly.com. So get traveling with your pet today and leave no dog behind. And remember, Fido Friendly's the only magazine dedicated to the travel lifestyle of man's best friend and the one magazine your dog will thank you for. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We're back, but our nature walk has just begun. Now, back to Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. Well, we're back, and uh, today we're going to be speaking with our friend, Dr. J. Dr. J, yay, you're back. How are you? Yay, I'm glad to be back. It's been great. I've missed you guys. Well, we've missed you, too, and a lot has been going on in your life. So before we get into this pretty interesting topic, and we're going to mute Jeannie again because of her memory. <laughs> She's having a banging good time there. <laughs> um, we would like to know what's been going on with you the past several months. 
Well, I've been doing do a little speaking. I uh, spoke at the North American Veterinary Conference in Orlando on on the topics, so wonderful, uh, on three different topics, but one of the ones we'll cover today, the viruses uh, topic. And I've uh, been uh, doing a lot of Internet consultation. It seems like the email, uh, email numbers are going up and up. Uh, as the website's been getting more intention and uh, but continuing to work my single man practice here, you know, it's, a, it's gotten busier as well. So, uh, and I uh, married my only daughter off last weekend, which was an emotional event. So uh, that was the hi- that was the highlight of the year so far, I have to say. I've- and then uh, I think I, I told you a little bit about the upcoming event where I'm going to meet with some uh, some media folk and uh, try to get the try to get the book going. I've been I've had this book in my head for over eight years now and just been adding chapter after chapter by, from the research I've been doing, and now it's finally all gelled and I think ready to get put between two slices of bread and put on the shelf. So uh, well, <laughs> uh, gluten-free bread, that is, uh, of course. <laughs> but, you, know, you know, Dr. J, that, uh, your website, and I'm going to just go ahead and give it to the audience now. They can go to drj.net, and that is D-O-G as in dog, T-O-R-J.net. That is a book. It is a book, yeah. It's basically the book. the uh, The book will, the format of the book will basically be the answer. the The first paper that I wrote and and put on the internet on nine eleven. I had that in my laptop for about eight months, and uh, for for some reason decided to publish it to the to the web on nine eleven that fateful day in two thousand and one. And I've just been adding to it ever since. I've uh, been doing a lot of uh, going down a lot of rabbit holes and and finding some things that I think people need to know about and. Finally, uh, the, the final chapter of the book has turned out to be the virus thing that we're going to be talking about today, which kind of is like the, the cherry on the top of this big Sunday that we've been building over the last eight years, and, uh, and I hope everybody enjoys it. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, if they've ever heard any of the previous shows and on the main site when we put this show up on um, Animal Talk Naturally, uh, we've linked all the other shows, and I would invite our audience to go back and listen to them in succession you know, from the first show Dr. J did with us to now, and you will get a flavor for that book, won't they? Yeah, they sure will. Yeah, and uh, we're very much you and I and Jeannie are, all, of course, all on the same page about this kind of thing. And I've always, I've always liked your intro about unlearning, <laughs> you know, because uh, because we've learned so much that's incorrect. And, and you know, in veterinary school, they told us that forty percent of what we would, what we were taught, would be proven to be false. Probably, we just had to figure out what forty <laughs> percent. Wow, that was that was that was the trick. But uh, I think, um, oh, you know, a lot of it's really been more error by omission. You know, we we didn't talk much about nutrition and. Uh, uh, which is just incredible, but uh, but even to this day, um, you know, with all the epilepsy work that you and I have talked about, that you know, the the response to this diet that we've formulated has been absolutely phenomenal for epileptics. Yet I still have board certified neurologists telling my clients whose dogs have stopped seizing on the diet that uh, that diet has nothing to do with epilepsy, and <laughs> and I, I can understand that they you know that they don't grasp the innards of it, the, you know, the inner workings of it, because I've spent seven years researching it right down to the mitochondria. Of the cell, but the uh, but for a learned person, somebody who's been trained uh, in medicine to make the statement that diet has nothing to do with something, really just hasn't grasped the you know the purpose of diet and what's in food and what should be in food and what shouldn't be in food and how it the role it plays and it's kind of scary, but it's but it's where we are. But all of this is changing now. The uh, the ideas about gluten and dairy and and soy and corn, the things we've been talking about, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as I like to call them now. Um, you know, it's all coming out, and 2008 is going to be an amazing year for everybody to hear this information. Well, what's interesting to me is that you've gotten the attention of 
um, the human health, um, you know, the medical profession, the human medical profession, and I always say that, you know, the medical profession learns everything from either veterinarians or natural health practitioners, and then they own it. <laughs> then they own it later on, okay? But, right, right. But, but, that, but that's not right, because it always comes uh, from this end, because uh, for one thing, veterinarians have to learn, well, they might not learn anything about nutrition unless they have taken the initiative to do so, as you have and many of the other veterinarians that we have on the show. Um, you know, they do, they do have to learn a multitude of species, not just one, like, a med- you know, like the human health. Right. So That's right. that probably gives you guys a <laughs> leg up. <laughs> it does, uh, or, 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 or two. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and of course my, my, uh, my plunging into this topic was a, was a quote, selfish, uh, selfish endeavor because I, I was so sick. And, uh, and I found out about my celiac disease and my gluten intolerance eight years ago, and that's what uh, propelled me or catapulted me um, into, this, into this realm. And, uh, and when I started reading about celiac disease and the effect it has on human beings, including myself, um, then, uh, and then the response I had after, after going gluten-free, it was just astounding. And I said, well, you know, dogs are basically built like us, and, and, uh, and wheat has always been an allergen to the dog, so uh, let's start applying these principles that I've learned about myself to the dogs, and miracles started happening. I mean, just miracles. That's the best word I can use because these are things that were just totally unexpected uh, because, I, because even I didn't you know, know exactly how to explain some of the things that were happening, and so it became a snowball effect where I was having things happening that I wasn't expecting to happen, so I had to go explain how that was, and then they all kind of fell into the duh category, um, and suddenly, and suddenly, medicine, suddenly medicine made a lot of sense, you know, you know, who'd have thought that, you know, that heartburn might be caused by a food that we put on our stomach that mm-hmm. our stomach didn't like, you know, <laughs> you know, what can you say? I think that we just got so out of touch with nature, you know, when people were raised on farms and things were taken care of naturally where we would, uh, you know, they would plow in weeds into the ground to help the weeds, um, you know, uh, feed the soil. Right. And feed the crops, and we didn't spray everything and do all the things that we do now, Dr. J. That's that was the difference, and now we're all urbanites, and I think right. we're in lies a big portion of the of the. We're seeing the results of that lack of knowledge now, and it, that's right. As the Bible says, "Are my people perish for lack of knowledge?" So, Amen, Amen to that. And you know, and the example that you've heard me use many times, and I use in the exam room all the time. One of the simplest examples is taking a taking a fever reducer, an aspirin for a fever caused by a virus. You know, and uh, I, and I, it doesn't matter what uh, degree of education my client has had, whether they whether they you know look like they're brilliant or whether they look like a country bumpkin. You know, I don't judge books by their cover anymore. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but no, I, the, the, I had a guy in the exam room. I, there's a reason why I said that. I had this guy in the exam room the other day that looked like he just, you know, was so far back in the woods that even the Presbyterians were handling snakes. Uh, but that, 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 you have to think about that one for a second. But no, I mean, they, he was way back in the woods, you know, and, uh, and this guy, I, I thought, you know, this guy's never going to grasp this. Turned out this guy was one of the most intelligent people I had seen all week. So there's that lesson about the book and cover thing again. But, but I asked him, I said, you know, I said, what do you think? that fever is there for we started talking about this what do you think a fever is there for and he knew right away he said you know he said well the fever is there to help fight the infection is and i said yeah so what are we doing killing that fever you know what are we what are we doing taking an aspirin for that fever and uh and and he said um he said yeah it doesn't make much sense does it i said no it doesn't but 
who told you to do that? And he, and he said, well, mama did. <laughs> no, I said, no, no, but, no, but wait a second. Who told your mama to do it? You know, and he said, well, the doctor did. I said, exactly. So, you know, you call your doctor and, you know, and most of them are going to say, well, yeah, give that child a, a little Tylenol, monitor the fever. If the fever gets to be this temperature, then, then call us back. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, or if these symptoms show up, then call us back. But the first thing out of their mouth is to give them a fever reducer. And uh, that's how upside down things are. You know, right. it's a glaring example of how upside down things are. There was a time yeah. when you used to um, support the body as it allowed, as you allowed it to do what it needed to do. That fever's there to um, assist the body in healing. So, right. Again, yeah. you know, that's something. And, and again, this is what we're doing now with viruses, as uh, you very well know, because this is a really hot button topic for you. Right. And, um, with all the things that are happening right now, we keep. And part of this, I really do think, Dr. J, um, that so many of us have spoken out against uh, uh, vaccinations, that, um, you know, we're, we're, we're vaccinating for so many things, and yet viruses are part of our DNA, something we've learned from you. Right, right. And uh, so I, I don't think that there are any number of viruses that we can contain in a vaccine. In fact, um, you're talking about the distemper. You, you had emailed... Uh, I think you'd email me something about the distemper uh, virus and also the parvovirus thing keeps cropping up now, too. So right. I'm very interested to hear uh, where you have gone in, in uh, digging into this and discovering, it, yeah. you know, we think of viruses as an enemy. That's right. And, uh, and, so we've uh, demonized them, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. we've demonized them, and they, there's something probably much more creative behind that, as we know. That's but, right. But the other Amen. Thing, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the other thing is that we, we always think that modern medicine has thought that the germ is the enemy, when in fact right. the body that is um, just, it's out of homeostasis. So the body is the, the terrain. And, you know, Louis Pasteur actually said that in his latter days. He said the germ is nothing, the, uh, the microbe is nothing, the terrain everything. That's right. So, That's right. Well, that's the end of the show. You covered it. You know, we're done. No, that, that was, no, but, but no I <laughs> hope you all enjoyed that. No, I'm just kidding. No, that, no that's, that's a great intro, and you're absolutely right in everything that you said. And this has been a, an interesting path, again, over the last eight years. And it's been an awakening because, see, I would like everybody else. Again, I, I tell people, like when I spoke at the North American Veterinary Conference and was dropping some major bombs on them, you know, which I, I, I didn't want them to feel stupid. Uh, I said, you know, but look, you know, wait a second. I don't, I don't mean to, I can't throw stones here because I was just like everybody else for the first 20 years of my practice. I was just doing what we were taught to do. If a dog comes in with a symptom, we give a, we give a pill to, to reverse that symptom. And you suddenly realize that, that the symptoms are there for a purpose. They're either there as a warning sign or they're there as a, they're therapeutic or both. Most symptoms are both, are both warning signs and therapy, uh, like the fever and like heartburn and like diarrhea and vomiting. Nobody likes to vomit and have diarrhea, but it's serving a purpose and to, and to just catch categorically kill all of these symptoms because we don't like how they make us feel is, is foolish. Uh, you know, and uh, so you you you, front, you you get that into your frontal lobe, and then you start going down this path, and you suddenly start realizing that these things that we call the enemy are not really the enemy, and the virus uh, is the ultimately maligned thing, kind of like the pit bull. <laughs> you know, we we've maligned that breed horribly because of, because of some of the things that they have done, and 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 because uh, man has turned the pit bull into something that likes to bite and eat people, but basically that that animal 
Terrier was created, that the, the Staffordshire Terrier, one of the most even-tempered breeds of dogs ever to be created, love love people, but man has made that dog, you know, turn into something else. And so the, the virus is very, very similar to that. The virus was created to be uh, to for to help us with adaptation and variation in nature. We'll talk about variation first. You know what a lot of people like to call quote evolution. And uh, and there's a smidgen of truth in the in the thinking about evolution that the world is changing because it is changing and why is it changing has a lot to do with the viruses in nature and plants animals people everywhere mm-hmm. viruses are everywhere they're ubiquitous and and they're responsible for variation in nature the the multitudes of color the changes from generation to generation a lot of that is actually activity of viruses in uh, you know in those individuals but the one that we're going to talk about most today the the other purpose of viruses is adaptation and uh, it's it's viruses that allow you to adapt to your ever-changing environment from the day this earth was created it was never the same things were changing all of the time and when man got into the industrial you know industrial era and we started throwing up all of these pollutants and all of these all of these chemicals and started doing what you were saying putting chemicals in the ground and that kind of a thing then things started changing very rapidly and viruses are there to they're adapting to these things and they're they're toughening because i i i used to think of the viruses as being for example those in our body as being uh, something that God put in our body that would uh, that would be there to uh, punish us if we did enough to our to our body. In other words, if you did enough wrong to your body, you've got viruses in your body. They're going to raise up and make you sick, and that was your that was your punishment. And I realize, of course, that's not how things work, and that's not how He thinks. These things are in our body to help us adapt. You have viruses in your very genome, like we talked about before, up to forty five percent of the genetic code in your double-stranded DNA is viral information. Okay, researchers know that now. And so a lot of these things, their viruses are inside the cell, they're inside the DNA, they're a vital part of the working of that cell, and they're enabling your cells to adapt because that's what viruses are good at. Look at the AIDS virus. That's why we can't get a hold of this guy. He's so good at adapting that at just about the time we think we got him cornered to try to make a vaccine out of him, he changes, he mutates. And this is what viruses do. And researchers talk about genes mutating, okay, and, uh, and do genes mutate? Do the genes that made your eyes turn blue or your hair blonde or whatever, do those mutate? Or is it the things wedged in between those genes that are mutating? You know, and that's a, right. so what, what, what I tell people, if you're reading an article about, about genetics and they keep you talking about genes genetics mutating. Genetics semantics. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Genetics semantics, you know, the gene that causes Alzheimer's, the gene that causes Parkinson's, the gene that causes breast cancer and all that kind of stuff. If you took the word and put virus and wherever you were, read the word gene, the paper would make a whole lot more sense. Uh, because we know that viruses cause cancer, and we're going to get to that point as why they cause cancer. But uh, but they're in our body to to allow us to adapt, and now they're being forced to over adapt. They are going to survive. I guess the most accurate view that I that I would put it, uh, the the image I would put into them is that they're like little friendly terminators. Okay, not the not the first not the first Schwarzenegger, the second one. Okay, now, you know they're 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 they are cybernetic organisms that are here to help us, but they are going to survive. They will survive no matter what, even if the host dies, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and so they're on, because that's what their charge is, is their charge is to adapt and, and, their, and to survive. And so uh, we, will, we will see these guys survive no matter what we do. 
And um, and but we're throwing so much at them now that they're turning into things that are that are our body is reacting to, and and the, it's the body's reaction to the to the flare up of these viruses that is responsible for so many diseases, including what we call immune mediated diseases or quote autoimmune diseases. That's right. And Dr. J, when we come back from this short message, we'd really like you to <clears throat> dig deep. <laughs> okay, we will. <laughs> so we'll be right back. Time to take a walk down the path to happier and healthier pets. And while we're doing that, you get to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Naturally, Pet Talk Naturally will be right back. Having a rough day? Longing for the dog days of summer? Think your fun furry friend lives a dog's life? Well, find out everything you're begging to know as Pet Life Radio presents It's a Doggy Dog World with pet expert and award-winning author Liz Palaika. Every dog has his day, and you'll find out how to make your dog's day fun and rewarding every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We're back, but our nature walk has just begun. Now, back to Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. Well, I'm Kim Bloomer, one of your hosts, together with Jeannie Thomason, who has lots of banging going on in the background with her (laughs) roofing company. But um, we are speaking today with Dr. John Sims, better known to all of our audience as Dr. J, and we are digging deep into this thing about viruses, friend or foe. And Dr. J, you were just painting the scenario before the short break, so um, the floor is yours. Oh, okay, thanks. Well, yeah. So, uh, again, uh, the, the, the fun fact that I'd love to throw out, when I read this, it all of a sudden made all the sense in the world that, that researchers had now um, discovered that up to 40, 40 to 45 percent, depending on whose article you read, of our double-stranded DNA is viral information, some of which is still very active and some of it is, uh, is inactive or extinct. And, um, and you can confirm that, get on the Internet, read about that kind of thing. It's really cool. And so you have genes in, in your double-stranded DNA that are responsible for determining, you know, the fact that you've got two arms, two legs, hopefully two kidneys, one liver, two eyes, and a nose, and beautiful blonde hair, blue eyes, or whatever. Uh, but in between those genes, uh, we have viral information that is capable of causing breast cancer, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and all, anything that they label as being genetic. 
you know, and when we talk about, when they talk about genes mutating, it makes a lot more sense when you talk about viruses mutating because that's what viruses do. And they do that in response to being challenged by things like carcinogens, you know, and last year people, a lot of people heard for the very first time that viruses cause cancer, um, when in fact researchers have known that for, you know, a very long time. In fact, many researchers for a very long time have said that viruses are the only, only cause of cancer. They believe it's the only cause. Well, people then say, well, what about carcinogens? Ah, well, see, carcinogens are the triggers. They're not the causes. Carcinogens force the viruses into causing cancer. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't have the viruses in your body, you could take on all the carcinogens you want and you wouldn't develop cancer. And that's what happens to most of us for the first 40, 50, or 60 years, hopefully, you know, that we're taking on carcinogens. Every time you step out into your big city like Boston, New York, uh, um, Phoenix, Arizona, LA, or Mobile, Alabama, um, you're taking on carcinogens, and when you're eating and drinking and those kinds of things, drinking fluoridated water, it has fluoride as a known bone carcinogen. Now, we know it's related to bone cancer in children. So we're taking on these carcinogens. Why don't we get cancer? Uh, because our immune systems are still healthy enough to keep that from happening. And people love to talk about it at, co at cocktail parties. You know, you and I are fighting cancer right now. And I go, yeah, I hope we're winning, you know, um, and, 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 we, and we do until our immune systems crash, until we've done enough wrong to this body. So cancer is one of those things that uh, I've got phones ringing all over the place here. We need three things to come together for cancer. You need to have carcinogens. Uh, you need to have the viruses that cause cancer, and you need to have a weakened immune system. And uh, but the but the thing, so I've been you know telling people that for years, uh, still thinking that maybe viruses were in fact malicious to a degree that they're they're just lurking, they're just waiting to have a, they they just waiting to have a party. That's how I'd kind of explain it to people. You know, you've got these virus. If I could do a Star Trek scan of you and give you a printout of all of the viruses that you have in your body. Okay. Uh, after you woke up from fainting, you know, you, you would read that list and you might want to take better care of yourself is what I, you know, it's what I used to tell people all the time because these guys are just waiting in your body to cause a problem. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and that's partially true, but actually they're not, it's not like they're just sitting there waiting to have a party. It's just, it's going to take a little bit longer for you to do enough wrong for your immune system to go down and a few more carcinogens to drive these guys into adapting into something that's going to be pathological and even lethal. And so, uh, and we know what the list of carcinogens are. So that, that's a, that's a real, that's a good example. And it's actually paralleled in other conditions like epilepsy. I'm thoroughly convinced that idiopathic epilepsy is viral. Uh, there's, there's over 25 viruses. Okay, hmm? for the sake of audience, one more. Oh, idiopathic. Idiopathic, idiopathic uh, means that we either don't know what the cause is, or we haven't identified the cause, or we can't identify the cause in that individual. So we we like the term idiopathic is a is a great word. We we throw it out there all the time. But my favorite definition that somebody threw at me one time after a conference is said, "Well, you know what idiopathic really means, don't you?" And I said, "No, what's that?" They said uh, that the the doctor's an idiot and it's pathetic for the patient. <laughs> And I said, wow, that, what, that, you know, that actually fits sometimes. 
But no, uh, the, you know, um, idiopathic epilepsy means that form of epilepsy that we can't identify a cause in. And, and in people, there are over 25 viruses known to cause epilepsy, uh, cause seizures in humans, many of which are, are uh, ubiquitous, meaning they're everywhere and they're, you know, they're latent, they're in your body just waiting to happen. Uh, we've all got, you know, all sorts of viruses in our brain of the herpes family, of the paramyxovirus family, which is what distemper is. Uh, we've got a numerous viruses in our brain that are capable of causing seizures. Uh, they culture these viruses out of, uh, out of the brains of elderly people after they've died, and they're, they're alive. These viruses are alive, yet they may not have been able to identify anything that those viruses were doing in those people. And so uh, we're, we're really loaded up with these guys, and uh, most of us are not call, uh, you know, having symptoms. Epstein-Barr, for example, 50% of our children have Epstein-Barr virus, one of the most famous herpes viruses. 50% of our children have Epstein-Barr by age 5 in this country. 95% of Americans have Epstein-Barr in their body by age 40 in the United States. And he's been tied, first of all, to mononucleosis and chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. But he's also now tied to three or four different forms of leukemia and lymphoma. Okay, so he actually he's been tied directly to causing cancer. But we got 95% of Americans walking around with, their, with them in their body, and only a relative handful of those are showing any of those signs, except for maybe the chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia, which is going through the roof right now. But, uh, but you know, so another good example of what a latent virus can, can do, just sit there. So what, what breaks them out of jail? What is it that starts making them start doing what they're doing? And it's, exactly. the, things that we're do, it's the things that we're doing to ourselves, the the poor diets, the air pollution, the, the, the crazy lifestyles of staying up till 1 o'clock in the morning watching television and not getting enough sleep and drinking pesticides. a fistful of Red Bulls every day and all that kind right. of stuff. Pesticides, the what? pesticides herbicides. Toxins. Pesticides, herbicides, preservatives. Pop- and and, and, and are your fa- one of your other favorite topics, vaccines. Vaccines. So there's a yeah. lot. Of, well, and, you know, because of what you're saying about vaccines, uh, Dr. J, that's why uh, – that's why there will never be – I think the original intention for vaccine was noble. But right. But we will never be able to contain those viruses in a vaccine. Right. That's know, right. They don't make sense any longer. That's right. You know, uh, it's absolutely right. And, and, uh, and we'll, never be able, we'll never rid ourselves of these viruses because, A, they're embedded in our very DNA, and, B, they serve a very, very important purpose, and that's well, the even, thing – even the distemper and parvovirus that we think are such a bane to our canine and uh, our canines, and of course there's a different form of uh, um, different forms that are for other species like felines. So yeah, um, oh, very good segue, uh, Kim. <laughs> no, no, actually, no, because you knew you knew that's you know that's where we're headed. You just need to tell me when you need to take your next break because this could be a long-winded little sentence, a long run-on sentence here. Fifteen minutes that you. Oh, cool. Well, then I, <laughs> here we go. No, no, but that's you know that that came to me a while back. I'm sitting here thinking about things because here's here's something interesting about the distemper virus uh, and other paro paramyxoviridae. Okay, the, 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 the December virus is in the family uh, paramyxovirus, um, as is uh, parainfluenza or, uh, you know, some of, our, some of our forms of upper respiratory problems. Measles and mumps are both also paramyxoviruses. 
Okay, so uh, three of the most commonly known diseases, you know, measles and mumps in, in, in humans and distemper in the dog are paramyxoviruses. And paramyxoviruses are known as pantropic virus, which means they go, to, they go into every tissue in the body. One of the first things we learned about distemper virus when we started learning about it in veterinary school, the term pantropic goes everywhere. Okay, so that kind of, you know, I, I kind of shelved that in the back of my brain for many, many years. But then as I started studying cancer, I'm going, okay, all right, dogs get cancer in almost every tissue in their body. Mm-hmm. And we know that viruses cause cancer. So, golly, I wonder if distemper viruses are causing cancer. Uh, and so, you know, thank goodness for the Internet, you know. And so you get on the Internet, you put in paramyxovirus and cancer, and you say, okay, let's just see what kind of cancers paramyxoviruses cause. And lo and behold, you find out just the opposite. Paramyxos don't cause cancer. In fact, researchers are using paramyxoviruses to fight cancer. And that ah. is interesting. Ah, then a light goes off, right? You go, huh. Well, how many of you in the audience went to see Will Smith's latest offering, I Am Legend? I haven't seen it yet, but I know uh, you're going because you're a Matrix man, too. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, I saw it the first weekend it was out, you know. And, uh, and here, you know, without giving away the plot, because most people know that at the very beginning of the movie, you know, he's a researcher, and they've discovered they have genetically modified a measles virus, Okay, paramyxo mm-hmm. to, to to fight cancer, and they, and in their clinical trials, they have cured almost every single case of cancer by using this genetically modified measles virus. Okay, wow. Then you flash forward, and Will Smith looks like he's the only person left on the earth. Okay, what went wrong? Well, things are a little bit different in the laboratory under controlled circumstances uh, than they are out in the general public. Okay, and so the virus mutates and it wipes out, you know, the vast majority of humans, leaving leaving uh, an interesting group of people. And I really don't want to give away the movie, but 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 the thing is, it, the guy who wrote that book knew exactly what they were doing. He knew exactly. He knew he'd, he'd done his homework because that's exactly what we're talking about here: is that they're using paramyxoviruses to try to fight cancer. Uh, but the point to glean from it right now is that paramyxos, like the distemper virus, don't cause cancer. They may, in fact, help to protect the individual against it. Uh-huh. Okay? So they go into so every mean, tissue. An, so you mean if an animal, let's say a dog is infected with this, or I don't know how else to say this, Dr. J, he, he gets distemper. Would that animal, who, if that animal were to survive the distemper, right. then what? Then, then, would he be stronger? Well, you know, uh, the only time I ever quote Nietzsche is, uh, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> Otherwise, the guy was pretty much a nut. But, he, but about that, he was kind of right from a medical standpoint, you know. But, you know, the, the, um, and that's the thing, you know, people say, well, you know, I mean, so many dogs die of distemper. I say, yes, we were taught in veterinary school that 50% of dogs would die of distemper. I would bet that it's probably even higher than that now, okay. But, but in the wild, I would, I would bet you dollars to donuts that, that, that in the wild, wild canids and also raccoons, which get distemper, I would doubt very seriously if 50% of them die. I would bet maybe 30, maybe a third of them, maybe 25%. But those that survive are stronger for it. And those right. that and die. Why is that? Why is it? Because those ones that were dying were being, in, in essence, cold by nature, right? Exactly. Exactly right. That survival of the fittest, if they, if they died, if they died of the, of the distemper, then it was because they were too weak anyway. And right. the, thing about the, the thing about the distemper virus is that it's a diphasic disease, meaning it has two phases. Okay. The first phase is they spike a fever. 
they develop pneumonia, they develop, uh, they, sometimes they develop vomiting and diarrhea because paramyxos can go both ways. Mm-hmm. So they may vomit, have diarrhea, but the most common symptom of distemper is, is pneumonia and fever, okay? And then three, then you've got a three week drum roll, okay? Because three weeks from then, those that are going to develop the neurological form will do it then. And then if and they the come in. The neurological form is, um, what is It's it? invariably fatal, okay? They, they start right. seizing, they start seizing, they have cerebellar signs, meaning that their right. equilibrium is off, and you have these, you typically Typically, you have the dog kind of doing lazy circles in the exam room, having a little chewing gum seizures, chewing their jaws, and then and and being and being weak and wobbly, and that's the neurological form. And and I personally never have a do- had a dog survive the you know the the neurological form of distemper. But see, it was three weeks between three weeks between the first phase and the second phase, and so the healthy dogs threw it off in the first in the first episode and the unhealthy ones the virus disseminated to the brain and caused problems and they died okay and so and so um, but you know the other it, ones who it, let's say that the litter let's say this was a, a puppy and there's litter mates dr. J mm-hmm. and the litter mates did not get sick or if they did they didn't get to that neurological point right these uh, they would have then sur- survived and become stronger and passed that on genetically wouldn't they to their That's right that's right. I believe that's absolutely true. I believe that's true. But, you know, again, you know, to balance this out, what pet owner would want to take that chance? Should we let dogs have the natural form of distemper? And I don't really want to entertain that question right now because that, right. that gets to be really deep, and we, we would need an extra hour for that. But, but look, because we'll focus, we'll focus on nature. But So what you realize when we've talked about vaccines a lot, and, and, and Dr. Steve's been on here a lot talking about vaccines, and he's absolutely right, very wise guy, of course, and um, and uh, but the vaccines are serving two negative purposes. OK, one is that we're talking about a, we're talking about a man-made vaccine. We're talking about I am legend. <laughs> OK, we're talking about a genetically modified virus in the vac in the in the in the you know, in the laboratory that 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 stimulates immunity without causing the disease. But we know now that there's an inter there's an intermediate ground between the dog, you know, getting the vaccine, developing immunity. And um, and um, and being healthy and 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 the, or the vaccine causing the clinical disease. Back in the 70s, uh, we used to we still saw in the 60s and 70s we saw dogs come down with clinical distemper from the vaccine. Mm-hmm. The vaccines were actually inducing distemper. Right. Okay. Now we get a lot of dogs that don't get. I mean, we, I haven't seen an, a vaccine-induced distemper in a long time, but I have certainly seen lots of evidence of dogs coming down with some manifestation of that paramyxovirus uh, as a result of the vaccine. Okay. Ah, so, okay. so, the, so the, the, there, there's there's an intermediate ground between a dog being totally normal and responding appropriately and a dog coming down with a clinical disease from the vaccine. There's something in the middle there. But the uh, so the vaccines are not only inducing some disease as are the adjuvants in the vaccine the potentiators in the vaccine are also triggering viruses that are already in the body and i'll tell you an interesting story about that after the break um and then but the other thing that the vaccines are doing is they're keeping the dogs from getting the natural virus which would do them more good than than anything if they survived it okay and that's the big if if they survived it but if the dogs were healthy enough 
if these dogs were eating proper diets and you know and living in a healthy environment, uh, I'm I'm thoroughly convinced of a very high percentage of these dogs would survive distemper if they were if they were not already horribly nutritionally challenged and immunologically challenged by what you know and, what and we're doing to them, right? <laughs> what, what, what we're doing to them. And uh, but again, you know, what owner, you know, if they, if you know, two percent of dogs dying of distemper um, would be too high of a percentage. So it's a that's a Pandora's box. But it it, at least we, we can still talk about it theoretically and know and know that that's exactly what's happening. And look at nature and see what's happening in nature. And you go, that's way that's what we should be thinking about. Exactly, Doctor J. And that that's right. And I think now would be a good time for us to take a really short break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to hear more about viruses, friend or foe. I think I think we know where we're going with it being foe or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Time to take a walk down the path to happier and healthier pets. And while we're doing that, you get to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Naturally, Pet Talk Naturally will be right back. Will your dog have a bone to pick with you tomorrow? Is your cat planning a hissy fit? Follow the dog star to Pet Life Radio for Lucky Stars. Our weekly pet horoscopes. Whether your retriever's a believer or your Pekingese disagrees, this is the place to find out what the stars hold for your favorite furry friend. So pull up a crystal ball every week with your host, international pet astrologer, and earth, fire, water, and air, Dale, Lucky. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We're back, but our nature walk has just begun. Now, back to Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. And we're back and we're speaking with Dr. J about viruses, friend or foe. And, you know, I'm still, I'm wondering what you're going to say. I think I know what you're going to say, Dr. J. They're not really our foe, are they? No, they're not. They just become so. We force them into it. We back them into that. We back them into a wall. I mean, up against the wall, they're back them into a corner. I'm mixing my metaphors there. <laughs> Backing into a wall made of corners, no, uh, or vice versa. But no, the yeah, exactly. That's what we're doing. We're making them. We're making them respond. They're just reacting to what we're doing to them, and that's but that's what they were created to do is adapt. And so what you see is that uh, you have uh, you basically have three three phases of most uh, individuals' lives: dogs, cats, and people. Uh, you start out with the allergy phase, which is the warning sign that you're doing something wrong. You know, you're having various forms of allergy reactions. You know, itchy ears, stuffy nose, hives, uh, gastrointestinal problems, uh, heartburn, diarrhea, all those different things. You're having these warning signs, and your body is telling you you're doing something wrong. But what we do is we go, our body doesn't know what it's doing because allergies are just a, you know, a screwed up immune system. It's genetic. Someday we'll figure it out and remove that gene. (laughs) You know, and, and, and as crazy as that sounds, that's how many, many people think. But I tell people, hey, you know, instead of it's because I think that and again, I'm going to go to modern medicine and because you're 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 all veterinarians are traditionally trained, Dr. J. So, you know, this be so that uh, until they decide to further their education, which is what holistic veterinarians do, um, that they always see think the symptoms and these sort of things as the enemy. When, in fact, holistically, that is not the case. That's right. That's right. 
That's right. We just got to keep plugging away at the cause, and now we know uh, the, what these co- what the causes are. And viruses are not the cause; they're they're part of the effect. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we we have these viruses, some of which are handed down genetically. I mean, you know, transmitted vertically from our parents onto us. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been coming on coming into us for a long time. Um, and um, and uh, uh, you know, the parable of the wheat and the tares kinds of fits here too as well. But uh, uh, but we, we'll get into that later maybe. But the uh, <laughs> but we 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 have we well we you know when you think about the double stranded DNA with your genes that do all of these wonderful things of giving you you know your character and everything, and in between them, you've got these viruses that can potentially uh, cause a serious illness and even death if we do enough wrong to them, then you realize that you've got tears sown among your wheat. But the, um, and it happens over time, and it's pa- they're passed on genetically, and so yes, you can acquire viruses that you can pass on to your, you know, to your offspring. And so we were, we were told, of course, acquired traits cannot be transmitted genetically. And the example, the, the grossly simple example they use was that if you, if you cut off the tails of dogs and breed them together, they're not going to be born tailless. Mm. You know, well, somehow we ended up with a couple of breeds that are tailless. But anyway, we won't talk about those. Uh, <laughs> how, did we, how did we do that? But no, uh, no, but for the most part, that's absolutely right. But when you're talking about viruses, when you're talking about viruses that go into every tissue in the body, including the gonads, including the ovaries and, you know, and the testicles, and they're, and they're in the sperm and they're in the egg, uh, yes, you can have viruses transmitted genetically. Um, and so some of the viruses we acquire are transmitted vertically and others are acquired during our lifetime. Um, but they're, but they are there and we start doing things wrong. And the, the first, again, the first phase of, of us doing things wrong is hallmarked by the allergies. And then we proceed into the immune mediated diseases, you know, the lupus, the rheumatoid arthritis, the type one diabetes, uh, you know, and those various things. And, and the same things happening in our animals today too. Those exact, exact same thing. Kind of, you know, immune mediated diseases, right? That you didn't probably used to see 20 or maybe even 30 years ago. Not nearly as many, not nearly as many, and I can remember the day that we started seeing them in abundance, and, we, and we'll talk about it as, as one of the major causes, which is my favorite topic, the food, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, um, and then the, the third phase of this is cancer, and because cancer arises, in, most commonly it arises in areas of chronic irritation. Okay, and a very wise um, holistic veterinarian was speaking at the same conference that I was at, and I, and I was listening to him talk about cancer, and he nailed it when he said that cancer is the end game of, of immune-mediated diseases. And he's absolutely right. You, you, in most cases, you have immune-mediated diseases preceding cancer, whether you knew they were there or not. We do seem to have some people that just fast-forward right to cancer, and those are your worst of the worst. Well, now, but everybody's mo- afraid, Dr. J., of this big C, you know, cancer, but cancer right. is a virus awakened is all that is, right? Exactly, exactly. Okay. And, so, and so what you have is you have, you have the, the virus in situ, in, in the tissue, and you're bombarding it with carcinogens, and that virus was created to adapt. And so what you ultimately see, and this is when the sky opened up, is like, it was like the bright light on the road to Damascus, that all all of a sudden you realize that cancer is just the ultimate adaptation of that virus. They suddenly start telling that cell to reproduce out of control, to reproduce themselves and the cell that they were designed to protect. Okay, and so look at cancer. Look at that. Look at that little lump. I hate to use this as an example, but it's a very common one and near and dear to people's heart, literally and figuratively, breast cancer. Okay, you've got that lump in your breast now, and it's a and it's a malignant tumor. 
Now, um, does, a, does a single, you know, one centimeter even lump in a woman's breast, does that kill the woman? No. Oh, absolutely not. No, it's just a lump in the, you know, it's just a lump there. Now, it, it can, it has the potential for it if it starts spreading to vital places like the lungs, the bone, and stuff like that. But as a single lump, it's not doing any harm to anybody. And so what is that thing? That thing now is a little, I, I, I use the term a cocoon. It's a little protective cocoon that that virus has, has spun for itself. It's, a, it's, a, it's breast tissue with viruses all in it, and it's now there to protect itself because it's tired of getting carcinogens thrown at it. And what, are, and what are the main carcinogens? Well, we've named a bunch of them, but one of the biggest guys we know is estrogen that's doing this. Mm. Okay, estrogen, particularly outside estrogens. And what are the main sources of estrogen to, to men and women? We've got to throw men in here because nobody wants to talk about the 6,000 men a year that get breast cancer. Uh, okay, yeah. but, 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 they, but we do, and it's because we're all suffering from estrogen dominance. There's a, there's a catch word for you that's very common on the Internet right now. And the main sources of estrogen in our, in our, uh, to us are our diet, the, and they are the gluten, grains, dairy, and soy, the top three of the big four. They're loaded with estrogens. You know, pesticide residues, for example, especially for pets, loaded with estrogen. Every woman in the audience right now, after this thing, preferably after this, they need to get on their computer and put in the words um, uh, environmental estrogens and find out the, all the sources of estrogens that they're bombarding themselves with environmentally because they're in, they're in artificial things, they're in you know, uh, textiles that man has made, and they're in pesticide residues, and they're in a lot of interesting, surprising places, and all women need to identify those things and run from them. But one of the biggest sources of estrogen to their diet is, I mean, to their body is their diet. And they are, again, the gluten, grains, dairy, and soy. Mm -hmm. Okay. And estrogens in general, estrogens are inflammatory. They are, they're immune suppressive and they're neurologically stimulating, you know. Well, and you know, I think a lot of people might think, but soy, I thought soy was good for you. What they don't understand, uh, Dr. J, is that, um, soy in its raw form is not good. That's right, exactly. Now, if it were fermented the way the Japanese have eaten it for um, millennia, and if it weren't GM, you know, produced. GMO, yeah, exactly. GMO, yeah, if it weren't a GMO food or genetically modified food, right. here in, like it is in the U.S., and, um, again, fermented the way the body could actually handle it, then it might be okay, but not, right. in, not in the lump sum that we always want to overkill on everything, you know, we That's just right. want to... <laughs> so, well, the actual bio, the the the, the uh, beneficial phytoestrogens are not found in the soy protein itself, not in the bean, but the cotyledon, the plant part of the soy. That's where the actual beneficial phyto, phytoestrogens are. And, and people who are confused about this, they can get on Wikipedia, you know, one of my favorite sources of information, you know, although there's some inaccuracy, for the most part, it's, it's very good. And learn the difference between phyto, you know, the different types of phytoestrogens there are. And there, you know, there are good estrogens and bad estrogens, but the problem is the ones in the, in the, in the foods that I just mentioned, the top three of the top four, uh, the, the way that we're taking them in, they're all bad. And so we've got all these women suffering from estrogen dominance because added to what their, what their ovaries are producing, uh, they're overloaded in estrogens, and estrogens don't cause cancer. They set the stage for the guy who does because they, uh -huh. cause, chronic, they, cause, they, set, they cause chronic inflammation and immune suppression, which is a deadly combination when you've got viruses there just ready to adapt and cause these tumors, okay? And so wherever you see chronic inflammation, that's where you're going to find your tumors. The most rapidly rising cancer in America right now is lower esophageal cancer. 
It's not the most common cancer, but it's the most rapidly rising cancer. And it's because of, and then the medical profession knows it's because of the injudicious use of over-the-counter antacids, which are creating, which are making you feel better, but not getting to the root of the problem. And that lower esophagitis, that inflammation of your esophagus from the stomach acids splashing up in there and causing all that chronic inflammation, the, the, the lining of the esophagus starts to undergo a change, a very similar change that takes place in the lungs from cigarette smoking, and that, that it starts to change its nature, and then all of that inflammation gets to a per- certain peak, and all of a sudden you start seeing tumors pop up in there. And you can just see it. Can't you see the viruses going, you know, uh, this isn't going very well. It's time to go into safe mode. And so, and so the viruses start forming little tumors. And it's, a, you know, usually a nodular, various little things starting to happen. And you can see it's a reaction to this chronic inflammation. And it's the exact same thing happening in, happening in the uterus of women with uh, chronic endometriosis. Well, it's, a vir- it's a viral proliferative disease of the inside of the uterus because of the changes taking place from all of these estrogens being dumped at them. Well, and instead of trying to get at the root of that, which is what you're just you just said is in the food and is in the right. know, pesticides in our we we mask it with drugs. That's right, exactly. And then and so, that do it drives it in deeper, right? That's right, exactly right. And so if we keep doing what we're doing, people say, well, that breast cancer is ultimately going to kill that woman. You say. Yes, it will if you don't stop the process that caused it to happen to begin with. Yeah, because if you, don't, you if, if you keep if you keep doing what you're doing, then it's going to then it's either going to spread or it's going to pop up in other places. But if you start messing with it, you start poking at it. You know, you poke a poke an animal with a stick, you're going to get a reaction. You know, and <laughs> yeah. so uh, and so if you start throwing you start throwing carcinogens. At, at tumors, which is what we do, of course, a scary thought to think that many of yeah. our our chemotherapy is actually mm-hmm. carcinogens. Well, Dr. J, you- I was wondering if 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 you see that with you know because um, I have a friend here whose dog is uh, got cancer, and I don't know what type. I haven't talked to him, but of course he's mm-hmm. doing the chemo, thinking, and the dog is getting very very emaciated and right, right, is poor. Well, you got to do some harm to do some good, you know. I mean, that's that's the byline well, anyway, yeah, and there, there's a sliver of truth on that. I guess to some degree, but for me, um, especially looking at everything from you know this naturopathic viewpoint, it doesn't make sense to me. And no, it doesn't. From what you're talking about, with what we're already throwing, we're already awakening those viruses that are embedded in our DNA. Right. With all that we're doing in the environment and so forth, it doesn't stand to reason to me to add more right. chemical onslaught to that already toxic-laden, poor immune system. In that well, for those who don't really know what chemotherapy is all about, in a nutshell, in a very brief nutshell, oversimplified to a degree, but, but that tumor cells are growing more rapidly than other, tel- other cells in your body. And that's why they're susceptible to certain drugs. And certain drugs, they target cells that are growing very, very rapidly. And that's why they're also trying to do the same thing with immunotherapy, with with using using antibody therapy, monoclonal antibodies, and stuff like that, how they how can they target certain cells that are that are um, you know that are cancer cells without harming uh, normal cells? Yeah, because the right. cancer cells are, are different in in a number of different ways, including the way that they're multiplying. And so chemotherapy targets these things, but that's also why people undergoing chemotherapy become so nauseated and have so many gastrointestinal problems because of all of the cells in our body, our gastrointestinal cells are 
are reproducing faster than any other cell. That's why you can, you can irradiate the brain. You can actually subject the brain to radiation therapy to treat brain cancer, but you could never irradiate the abdomen with a, with a big dose of radiation because it'll kill all the cells in the, you know, in the, in the abdominal cavity, in the intestinal tract, and you'll, and you'll die of radiation poisoning. Well, and isn't the big, I mean, the largest portion of your um, immune system is housed in that intestinal Exactly. Tract. So, so much, so much of what goes on for your immunity takes place in your intestinal tract, and that's why the food issues that we've talked so much about over the years play such a vital role because you've got the big four foods, the gluten, grains, dairy, soy, and corn, hammering away at the lining of the intestinal tract, and it's not only doing physical harm and keeping the immune system from being able to operate properly just from that alone, but, the, but that area of the intestinal tract that, that is harmed by those big four is our good friend, the duodenum, where your calcium iron, iodine, B-complex, vitamin C, and trace minerals like lithium, boron, chromium, magnesium, all these things are all absorbed. And so your immune system is going down from malnutrition. And then these little proteins that are doing the harm enter your bloodstream, and they go off and start attaching to various cells in your body, your thyroid, your kidneys, your liver, your joints, um, and they start inducing inflammation all by their lonesome, okay? And that's the important thing that people understand. These proteins that we call lectins, they do physical harm to tissue all by themselves, and once the harm gets to a certain level, then the immune system is called in to come in and investigate and do what I call house cleaning, and that's basically your immune-mediated disease. Immune-mediated diseases are your immune system going into an area and cleaning up all of this garbage that started happening because of, again, what we've done. You so know, it's the, really just a response by your body to heal itself. Exactly. So the only way, so the best way, in my um, humble opinion, <laughs> would be right. to, to support that immune system or to support the body right. in its totality, mind, body, and spirit, of course, and, and right. we know what we mean by that. Um, the whole the whole thing would have to be in a whole positive right. way supporting, and then you could help to assist the body on its way to getting that illness right. out of you. And I've heard the conventional thinking in many cases. I've heard this, read, seen this written, heard it spoken. You know that, of course, autoimmune diseases. They look at them completely backwards, and they say that the immune system has gone haywire. It's attacking itself for no reason. Had a lady in lupus with lupus in the exam room the other day, and her doctor described to her that her body was becoming allergic to itself. It's an overactive immune system. And so, what do we treat overactive immune systems with? We treat them with immunosuppressants like cortisones, you know, and, 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 other, and other chemotherapeutic agents like methotrexate and things like that. It's back to the taking the, fev- taking the aspirin for the fever caused by the virus. We, yeah. we, we think the fever is the demon, and so we kill the fever. We think the immune-mediated disease is the demon, and so we kill the immune-mediated disease. And I have to say, I mean, right now, I have to say that there are times where we have to intervene. Cortisone is not evil across the board. Cortisone saves lives every day, and it saves animals' lives every day, but, but it's, it, not, it's, it's, it's a, a two-edged sword. It's not yeah, you, always a first it, it should, you know, a lot of times it's a first. Um, yeah. Right. It shouldn't be the it shouldn't be the first thing you reach for. But if you have a dog dying of an overwhelming immune-mediated yeah. disease like a hemolytic anemia, where they're suddenly breaking down their red blood cells, if you don't intervene and give them cortisone, then those a lot of those dogs are going to die. But the good news is, if you understand the role of these food proteins and the insecticides and the carcinogens and the air pollution and all that kind of thing, and start getting rid of those things, that dog will not be on cortisone for the rest. 
of his life. He will recover from that crisis, and then he'll go on to become well. And what? And so we we just have to keep 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 focusing on what's actually causing this thing, so that we can get these pets off of lo- and people off of long term medication. Right. And that's exactly what we've been doing here said, at my practice. What you just said, Doctor J, is exactly what. Um, traditional medicine was originally intended for. That is a heroic exactly. measure. That's a heroic we, measure, and it has its place there. That's right. We got it. We got it upside down. It's really interesting. Everybody who's uh, we did it. We did an interesting little show uh, not long ago here on on ATN. But uh, um, you know, when when did when did <laughs> this is going to blow some minds? But I'm going to throw it out there anyway. When did we adopt the current, the present day Caduceus as the medical symbol? And everybody said, "What the heck's a Caduceus?" Well, you know, go home and watch CNN tonight. You know, and every time they have a health alert, you've seen it. You know, it's the medical symbol. Mm-hmm. It's the outstretched wings with the post down the middle and the two. What now? Snake. Oh, snakes. That's right. Yeah, the serpent. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you know, um, you know, what, what, you know, what, what is that? That medical symbol is the third of the caduceus that man has used. The first one was an olive branch decorated with garland. The second one was the veterinary caduceus, which is a single piece of wood with one snake on it. That is known as the staff of Asclepius. Mm-hmm. But the third one is the magic wand of Hermes. Hmm. And you have to go back and find out who Hermes was, and he wasn't a great guy. And uh, and but you wonder when did we adopt that as our as our main medical symbol? And what you will see is phenomenal. This is one. I mean, you can take it for what it's worth, but I can tell you, I've researched this. When we adopted that symbol, then it ushered in the pharmacological age. And for the last forty to sixty years, we have been we've been killing symptoms with magic. You know, of course, the root word of the word pharmacy is pharmakia, which means magic. And right? you did a show with us on that. We did that, yeah, it's back there. You can go back and look at you can go back and listen to that one yeah, if you're interested. We can have it linked with this one because um in fact all of yours so that they can go back and find those right. easy and listen to them. And the R X symbol is the left eye of Horus, which is his magic eye, the Egyptian god Horus, and there's an interesting story behind Horus. You can go look him up on Wikipedia. But so we've got three references to magic and so for the last for the last uh, you know period of time we have been we've been treating symptoms with magic. Well, what what, what we used to call old remedies was potions, right? Yeah. No, hey, how about that? How about that? You know, uh, <laughs> and we could talk about this for uh, well, we've already talked about it for an hour, but we could, but we we we've gotten it all. Things have gotten very upside down in the last sixty years, and uh, there's your hint as to maybe approximately when we did this, a Caduceus thing. But uh, but we're now turning it back. Two thousand and eight is going to be a phenomenal year. Just keep your eyes open because it all this move in the right direction started happening a couple of years ago. Celiac awareness is out there, you know, uh, and people are understanding how devastating the wheat issues are. The next thing on the table is going to be true dairy intolerance. We're going to find out that dairy is even worse than wheat as far as what it's doing to our body. And then soy, yes, the, it, fortunately the, the medical profession is now even understanding that this whole health food, uh, soy as a health food thing is a, is a horrible myth and that, uh, and that soy is one of the worst things you can put into anybody, including horses. For anybody who's listening who has horses, that's now going into horse feed, and you need to check your label and make sure they're not getting it. And so, and now in, in the autistic community, they're studying the role of corn protein in brain degeneration. They know that corn protein kills neurons, just like gluten, just like soy, just like dairy protein is capable of. And so now they're fine. They finally come to the fourth guy in the you know in the in the of the four horsemen and realizing that corn. Corn gluten meal kills other plants. It's a natural herbicide, and there was your warning sign. 
you know, um, and corn actually kills tissue cells when it gets into the body of sensitized individuals, but that's what lectins do. And so these guys are pounding away at our body, they're pounding away at our gut and our immune system, and they're actually carcinogens. You know, these lectins actually act as carcinogens. They're, they're, they're a big group of things that are causing these viruses to, to mutate and do what they do. But the viruses are, they're, they're created for good, and we've turned them into something bad. They don't want to be that way. Uh, and that's where you can maybe get some of your, you can start to believe some of these miraculous healings that people are talking about where they were cured of this, cured of that, cured of cancer, cured of MS, cured of these incurable diseases because they started doing enough right. And so you can believe a lot of those stories. Some of them are hoaxes, but a lot of those stories are really are true. Well, Dr. J, we're actually going to run out of time, so I'm going to give your website real quick before they cut us off. It's www.dogtorj.net, and uh, hang on for a second, and we'll let them close us out, and then we'll do our closeout. We'd invite everybody to come to the main site, animaltalknaturally.com, and you can listen to, I don't know how many shows you did with us, but you were with us for we did almost. I think we did 12. I think we did almost a full year. We had to have done more than 12. I'll have to go back and look at them all, but I know we did uh-huh. a bunch. And you started out, the very first one was um, taking it to the hoop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that title. That was good. It was. And there was a whole lot that you evolved to where you are now with this. And right. again, if people would go back and listen to all the shows, I, I will link them with this show when it's up on the main feed. Um, and all you have to do on our site is search for Dr. J, D-O-G-T-O-R-J. And put a space in between the doctor and the J, and then you guys can uh, find Dr. J uh, anywhere on our site or just go to his website at drj.net. Well, what is coming up for you in the near future? Well, kind of open to take this to the new level. Uh, you know, I've, I've shared with you before the, the term that I've, I don't know if I coined it, but I certainly, it, it came to me originally. It was proactively waiting. You know, I've been proactive, I've been, I've been, I've been proactively waiting, you know, for something else to happen to kind of take this all to a new level. And I've been, you know, very busily answering emails and, and, and trying to work on the website and doing the speaking engagements and that kind of a thing. And, uh, and all, all the while knowing that I had this book in my head that all of these things needed to be put into. And, uh, it's basically written, as you said, on the website, but it's, there's just so much that's on my website that I haven't put down yet. It's just an ever growing thing. It's, it's going. You just. It's. It's a doorway to go through what we're talking about here. It was a doorway that I didn't even know about, and when I opened that door, it was like into a whole other world. It was. It was almost like the end of uh, the first uh, Men in Black movie. <laughs> you know, oh, if anybody yeah, saw that, they can. That. They can picture it. You know, all of a sudden you realize that the little world that you've been living in is only a microcosm of what the real world is all about. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you you go through and you you go through this door and you see all of this neat stuff, and all of a sudden one thing leads to another. But the interesting thing is it all starts making sense. Even though I wrote my main paper, The Answer, uh, almost o- over seven years ago, uh, there's nothing in that, in that that I've had to go back and correct. There's just, there's just gaps in there that need to be filled in with just more information. The paper still... St- that's what happens when you write, and when you write an article, you'll go back and say, okay, I left off this whole main thing that I know now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wrote about I wrote about latent viruses. I lo- wrote about glycoproteins, and I didn't had didn't know the term lectins yet. I wrote about all of these things that I now talk about, but just not in so much detail. And so it's it it formed a, the the first year of study formed a framework in which to start throwing all of this stuff in. And but uh, but it, it was Dr. J, your long-awaited book. When's your book coming out? 
Um, don't know yet. Uh, got, you know, just because I, I'm I, I'm waiting for a publisher. I, when I go to New York City next month and meet with the meet with a number of the members of the media, I'm going to have a sit down with about 80 different people from the media and uh, people from TV producers to publishers to to news news radio and everything else, um, and and make my pitch. I'm going to have about a three minute, which is very hard for me. <laughs> a three-minute, a three-minute pitch with each of these, each of these different individuals, and something's going to come of it. The main thing I'd like to come of it is I'd like to, I'd like to find a publisher who says yes, this would be a good book, and we'd like to do it. And and uh, because I, I'm going to need to take uh, some time off of my practice to really get this thing done. Yeah. And uh, and also I need to be motivated to do that. And, and in the meantime, it's it's been a good thing to you know, for this to take some time because some more gaps have been filled in. But now with the, with the virus information, with that piece of the puzzle in place, all of a sudden it all really does make sense. And that was a, I couldn't have written this book the way that I want to now a year ago. I can't look at any of this information that you've shared with Jeannie and I over the past two years. I cannot look at it, all the stuff that I've learned. And when I hear people say, oh, They've got cancer or whatever. It just doesn't get me freaked out the way it might have two right. years ago. Right. You know, because of what we know. And right. Because of what you've taught us and our listeners, and I think it's real important that the world knows about it. Amen. That's and the mission. It is. That's the mission. That's why I've got that little map of the world at night on the, on the, on the homepage of my website, you know, and you click on that and it takes you directly to the answer, but... But uh, this is a message for the entire world, you know, everybody, dog, dog, cat, person, everybody, and uh, and still working on the still working on the title of the book. Uh, but uh, but it's uh, it's the you know, point. Well, that that was one of the titles. The other uh, was um, um, Dogger J Unleashed. Uh, a veteran, uh, uh, <laughs> <I> like, <laughs> yeah, because because it, it has all sorts of references. Unleashed is a great word, and this one you can have across the book cover, and people can just look for the word unleashed. But the subtitle is uh, a veterinarian's incredible journey to health, and uh, and and the re- and the and the reference to incredible journey, um, you know, can can take in you know dogs and cats. The Disney movies come to mind, and all that kind of stuff, because that's really what it's all about. And I've told everybody it's been a, a phenomenally incredible journey. Um, and so, uh, and so that may end up being the title and, uh, you can look at that on the shelves uh, next year. No, uh, but it, it's going to, it's going to cover, it's going to be basically my story of, um, of recovery and discovery and, um, and, you know, clinical cases and all the stuff I've learned, um, and not, not be an advice book because I, I'm not an MD, but it's going to be basically information that I've uncovered and what I did in my own personal life. And if people want to do the same thing and become as well as I've become, I, which I suggest, then, uh, then they can do those things. That sounds so good. On a voluntary basis. But, uh, Great. Well, I'm glad that you were able to be back with us this time, and we hope that you'll be back. Me too, Kim. In the really enjoyed it. It was fun. It was like old times again, and I know yeah. Jeannie and I will have you back, and I hope that you keep us informed with all your news so we can keep our audience up, up to date on all that's I going on. I certainly will. We've had a few people who, who have emailed us and said how much they loved um, the shows that you've done with us, and we know that they've learned a lot. And Great. so we would invite every. Do you have any? Uh, and I know I'm, I'm opening myself up for another. <laughs> I don't know how much, but what parting words of wisdom would you share with our audience in closing? Well, I've got closed a lot of my articles uh, and my speeches, like in, like again my lecture in uh, three hours in in Orlando last month. You know, the last slide on my PowerPoint was uh, was the quote of Pogo, 
which was a lot of people are too young to remember who Pogo was, but Pogo was this interesting little furry critter that was a cartoon character, and he was, uh, and he had a lot of Cute. wise words of wisdom. And uh, and his most famous quote was, uh, "We have met the enemy, and he is us." Uh-huh. And uh, and that's really the parting shot. You know, um, we've got to stop looking, as you pointed out so wisely at the beginning of the show. Stop looking at these uh, at these or- microorganisms as the enemy. We're the enemy. We're we're doing this to ourselves. We're doing it with every bite, every breath, every time we stay up past midnight um, and don't get a good night's sleep and and drink all those Red Bulls and all those diet cokes and and we're loading ourselves with refined sugar and hydrogenated oils. And it's just amazing that we make it past. 40. The 40 should not be the wall. You know, the wall should be 119 because 120 is how long we should live. But, uh, but you know, um, we're doing it to ourselves. And so people just need to wake up. I, sometimes I just want to shake people in the exam room and say, wake up, you're asleep. Wait, slap them a couple of times and wake up. You're a, you're asleep. You're doing this to yourselves, you know. And uh, and I, I don't ever want to hear anybody say, oh well, we all got to die of something, doc. You know, because I've heard that enough times, and I used to let that go. And now I now I say, look, I've talked to enough chronically ill people. That guess what? You don't go from healthy to dead. Most people go from healthy to a long-term illness that's debilitating. It breaks them financially. They spend a lot of time in bed wishing they would die long before they die. So don't give me this. We all got to die of something because you're not going to like it when it happens to you. So wake up, you know, start take, tra- take, care of better, take better care of yourself, this temple that you were loaned. We don't own this body. We lease it. <laughs> you know? And so, you know, uh, take better care of it because it's a sin not to. It is. And, and I hope that everybody will pay heed, wake up out of the matrix. Visit Amen. Dr. <laughs> Dr. J's website at www.dogtorj.net and stay tuned for more <laughs> from the doctor. Thank you for being with us, Dr. J. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Kim. Really enjoyed it. And it's just been great to be back with you again. And just call me anytime. I'd love to, love to talk to you again. Well, we'll definitely have you back. And we hope okay. everyone out there in the audience has a tail wagon, hoof stomping, perfectly animal talking day. Pets and nature come together every week on Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim Bloomer and Dr. Jeannie Thomason. Learn how to care for your pets with all the wonderful natural elements that nature has to offer so your pets can live a happy, healthy, and harmonious life. Pet Talk Naturally, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Naturally.